Hello, everybody. This is another episode of the Economalia podcast. And this time, it's even live. It's great that I have for the first time someone, you know, not via the internet, not via Zoom, but really sitting in front of me. And it's Katja from Chateau Co-Living in France. And that is a very exciting project in terms of co-living. I think that takes it to another dimension as far as I can see it. And we both, we met in Bansko. Katja, thank you so much for being part of the Economalia podcast this time. Hello. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's such a pleasure to meet you. Yes, we're sitting here in my apartment in Bansko that I was renting. And we talk about co-living this time. I mean, we do it a lot of times in the podcast of Economaria. And um, this time we are going to talk about Chateau Co-Living. This is your project. Chateau is the French word for castle, basically. Yeah. So when you go on chateaucoliving.com, Chateau, you write it with a C-H-A-T-E-A-U. And then co-living, it's one word. Yeah. You can check out uh, the project. And um, I mean, this is, of course, something I guess some people are wondering, wow. A castle for co-living? Seriously? But first of all, Katja, maybe tell me a little bit about your background or tell us a little bit about like your short story so that we understand where yeah. you're from and, and what you're doing. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm originally from Bulgaria. I grew up there. I left quite early and I was, I mean, like, like most of the digital nomads, I first had a corporate career, a job that required a lot of traveling. And then slowly, slowly, I left this corporate world and I started being nomadic, slow magic, slow traveling. And I've been moving around basically for the last almost 10 years now, eight years, 10 years. And yeah, I've been around, I've been a digital nomad, although no, not those kind of, not changing a place every two weeks, but rather slow traveling the world. So definitely location independent. Yeah, definitely location independent yeah, for more than eight years now. For more than eight years? Yeah. Wow. What was your first job? My first job? Yeah, your first job when you became a, a digital nomad. nomad. Yes. Uh, actually, I started, we started with a partner, a design company for packaging design. And it was something that I was doing before for a while. I'm not a designer myself. I'm a marketing person. So I'm on the strategy, marketing, sales side. And my partner is a designer and I had a career in packaging. So actually starting off our own business was not that difficult because we already had the contacts from the corporate world. So we, right. were, we were not exactly freelancing. It was more like a proper agency. <laughs> so you started out on the entrepreneurial track yeah. right away. Yeah. Okay. Was that your intention to be nomadic at that time? No, it was not an intention. Now I see a lot of people are asking questions in uh, some groups and forums. How do we become digital nomads? How do we get there? In fact, in my case, it happened exactly the opposite way. I just left the corporate world because I was so disappointed with it and I wanted to do like work-wise something on my own terms in terms of um, just professionally. And uh, it just happened that I could be location independent. I was not planning it. And yeah, it just it just happened. So one day I just I was just sitting in my apartment working and I thought, okay, why am I here when I could be actually anywhere? <laughs> so I opened the map and I said, okay, let's go somewhere. And, uh, and I guess this concept wasn't really known, especially no, not in Bulgaria, right? No, not at all. It was not known. And 
this is a big part of it when you don't know anyone doing it and when you don't have a community. And even the first few years of traveling this way was very exciting, but it also felt very lonely because you couldn't connect to anyone. And everywhere you go, I like to learn languages. So I was trying to always learn a little bit the local language. I was always having some local friends. And then even if you meet some amazing people, you can never actually connect on a deeper level because they don't understand your life. And uh, yeah, sometimes people were disappointed. Why are you leaving? Don't you like it here? Like, no, I like it. I just want to try something else. What was the first time for you when you stayed in a co-living place then? The first time was not so long ago. It was two years ago only. Before that, they didn't exist. So I went to Nanco Living in Tenerife and I was actually, so Nanco Living had just opened maybe about a year before. It was still quite new. Now it's super popular. Everybody wants to go there. <laughs> and I absolutely recommend it. It's a wonderful place. But it was still relatively new. And by the time the owner, Anne, she was running it alone for the first year. And then it was just too much for her. And she wanted someone to kind of help her for the running of the place, but also in general for the business, just also for her to be able to have a few days off a week. And as I wanted to stay long term and not just for one or two weeks, we made this deal that, okay, I will stay for one year and then I will help you. So it was a really positive exchange because I think also for her, my background and my business background and traveling background was useful. For me, it was extremely useful because I was for the first time in a real digital nomad community. Before that, I, you know, with my partner, we were more traveling, but staying in Airbnbs and almost never going to co-working places even. So it was a great, great experience. I see. And did that stay in nine co-living Is it in Tenerife, right? In Tenerife, yeah. Yeah. Did that inspire you for your own project, for your own co-living and co-working project? While I was there, I really loved it there, but I would never think that our place would be suitable for something like that. It was just, um, I wouldn't say that it inspired me in the beginning just because the two places are so different and I, by the time the castle was running as a bed and breakfast, it was a completely different business, a different universe. So I never really thought about it, but it definitely had a huge impact after when we left Tenerife and when the coronavirus happened and all the difficulties with the tourist business and all of that, then it was definitely the inspiration of the vibe that we want to bring into the place and an inspiration for the new business. Okay, so now let me get back for a second. <laughs> you have a castle, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, for the moment, the bank has a castle. <laughs> we'll see. Okay. When you say you have a castle, you say that the bank has a castle, but how in the world did you find a castle in the first place? I mean, uh, you probably have a long story and we can have yeah, it forever here, I, but what, what's the short story? Just here? wondering how to tell the, the very short story is that um, it's a place that was in my partner's family for a very long time, for hundreds of years, but we 
didn't inherit it because it was not going a direct line. But at some point we had the opportunity because the last person that was owning the castle was a monk and he was living in a monastery and he didn't have any children. So he said that we can get the castle instead of the castle going to the church and he dies. The thing is that in France when you inherit something that is not directly from your parents, you have to pay 60% of the value. And basically we had a very, very short time to decide and to go for it and it's a very hard decision because at one point it's a place that is very unique it's a place that becomes an island in winter there are two buildings it's an original castle with all the family stuff inside and all of that on the other hand 60% of the value is a pretty good deal but for a place like that it's still huge and it's still something that you can't afford in your late 20s for sure so we decided to risk it and to go for it luckily we still by the time had good credit history from our corporate jobs, even though we had just left. So yeah, we took the risk, took the loan. What was extremely unplanned and unexpected was that um, we couldn't get the place right away because there were people living there illegally. So it took three years of trials to be able to get rid of those people. And then, I mean, you know, in the beginning you have this romantic (laughs) imaginary thoughts that, oh yeah, it's going to be, you know, our retirement project. Now we are digital now can be passive income, bed and breakfast. When we retire, we will have like a place, whatever. That's what we were thinking totally, totally wrongly by the time when you don't have the experience. So basically when we had three years of trial, then we found the place in a very, very bad condition. I was when, wondering, I mean, did you have to well, you know, refurbish a lot of when things? When people or? lived there for years without owning the place, they didn't <laughs> care about it. Sure. So, and also when you kick people out of the place with a trial, they are not particularly happy about that. So we had to do a lot, a lot of work and um, we mostly did it by ourselves because we didn't have the means to, to do it professionally. And we, it took a lot of time. We did it very slowly. It was like one room, second room. And uh, How long did that take you? It's still not finished. <laughs> okay. So I think... Okay, but just to, I mean, just to get the picture right, oh. you didn't come from Bulgaria to the north of France. Where exactly is it located it's in France? Normandy. It's Normandy. Next to, yeah, it's in the northwest, uh, just next to the D-Day beaches from the Second World War. So what I like is that it's, it's a region where it's a touristy region, but not packed with tourists. So there are things to see, there are things to do. It's uh, more or less developed, but it's not overdeveloped with tourists. So. I see. And you didn't just come from Bulgaria, no, no, found no, randomly no. the castle. Well, you know what, no. darling? <laughs> no. Oh, yeah, it looks nice. Let's take it, right? <laughs> no, 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 it no wasn't not bad. at all, not at all. Yes. So we were nomads before. We were very minimalist, very nomadic. It was even a bit controversial because it was clashing so much with our regular life. Like the first few years, we were not even talking to people about it. You know, in the nomadic circles, you can't just uh, go to India, sleep in a place that costs three euro per night and say to people, you know what, we have a castle. Like, <laughs> hey, we have a castle here. Yeah, so it was it was really controversial. And um, actually, me personally, I was not even feeling good with it because, first of all, you have this huge financial burden, which is not necessarily the life you want when you are a digital nomad. And then it's just uh, for someone that is so much... Traveling, living anywhere, easygoing, you don't want people to see you this way. So you don't want anyone to know about this place because you you know that the minute you say it, just people change the way they think about you. So you started out 
as a tourist place more so it was more like a bed and breakfast then yeah so you said it took a couple of years to refurbish it and then finally you could host some people i say um, you're still in the make to do it yeah. but you can already have people there yeah so now I, i can say now it's fully operational but it took about eight years in the beginning when we took it First of all, co-living was not a concept, uh, remote work was not so much, not popular almost at all. So we started with the most, the first logical thing that we could do out of it was a bed and breakfast and we did it room by room. So as soon as we finish one room, we would put it on the booking platforms and then in the meantime we refurbish a second room and then we put it on the booking platforms again and then, yeah, so now the place is, we have three buildings. Two of the buildings are fully operational. The third building, I think we will not be able to restore it within our lifetime. But yeah, we have two buildings that are completely restored and operational. I see. How is the castle located? Is there a town nearby? Is it in a city or how would you describe it? It's uh, in a huge natural park. So we have 80 hectares of land and The lands, there are two rivers around it, so every winter, that's the magical thing about the castle, is that every winter the rivers overflow with water from the ocean, so it becomes an island with a tiny road connection to the mainland, and the water comes like really, really close, so it's so beautiful in winter. And the closest village is probably around one kilometer away, but then it's a tiny village, and then the first town with a big supermarket and restaurants is seven kilometers away. Okay. So we are a bit outside and then the big cities like the airports and the bigger cities are maybe 40 minutes away. And what do you like most about this place? Oh, wow. It's a very historical place. It started as a Viking fortress and then it went through so many changes. There are a lot of famous architects, actually one of the architects of Versailles worked on this place. Then it was occupied during the Second World War. We have original American bullets in the walls of the living room that we kept. We have signatures of American soldiers that came to liberate the place. Like the place itself is full of history. We managed to keep the original portraits of the people that were living there. It just takes you to another. Yeah, I think the history is one of the fascinating things. And then the nature. We are in a private park, so we have the luxury to be able to do whatever we want, even if we want to be loud, to have parties, to for people to bring their pets. We have complete freedom because we are far from the village. Great, that sounds awesome. And how can I imagine it right now when I come as a digital nomad or, let's say, location independent? Do I find a community or... How does that look like? Yeah, surprisingly, we are trying to connect people also a lot with the locals. So we have a bunch of local people, ex-digital nomads that settled in the villages around. We have um, people from Paris that moved in the area, which is now very popular, especially after the lockdowns. A lot of uh, people with corporate careers from Paris are moving in the area. There are... In our place, we can also host a lot of people. So even the community within the property can be quite big. We can host up to 30, 35 people when we are full, full. So yeah, the community is easy to find and we really like to make these connections with the locals. How do you connect with the locals? What do you do exactly? Do you have, you know, some 
sort of village fest or what are you doing? So, for example, this winter we will probably host the Christmas market at our park for the three villages around. It's not confirmed yet. I mean, we, we hope. Then we have local friends, for example, yeah, musicians from Paris who moved in the town and opened the vegan restaurant, you know, in the region of Normandy where cream and meat is everything. Having a vegan restaurant is so bold. So for digital nomads, this is amazing because they have great food and they deliver and we also meet together, party together. We have a friend who started an oyster farm and... He's basically, yeah, growing. I don't know if the term is growing for oysters or how do you say it? Yeah. Breeding them. Breeding oysters, yeah. Yeah. And uh, he's making, for example, special visits of the farm only for us. You know, his business is not tourism. He, he He's not welcoming tourists, but because he's a friend, we are doing oyster tasting in the farm with him. He explains, he puts people on the tractor, takes them to the ocean to visit the oyster, you know, like the oyster fields explains about it. And those are very unique experiences that digital nomads can have, which are not accessible to anyone else. It's only accessible because we know the local people and we are friends with them. So they do it only for us. And I think it's something that um, digital nomads are really looking for, something that is not the typical tourist trap, you know, the typical attraction. So yeah, we, we met some people, like a lot of local people, for example, that work remotely now are um, looking for a co-working space. And did all that happen just because you started to have this co-living and co-working thing at the castle and before there wasn't anything of that what you were just telling me? Yeah, I think before, uh, first of all, we never lived there full time, so we couldn't really connect with the people. But I think now, I mean, we started very recently, so we just started a few months ago. But I think, yeah, I think we, we have the potential to grow a nice community there for the people that are staying on the property. Like the property itself, it's kind of like a, like a small village already. And then bringing in people coming in and out. We already have some regular clients, for example, who live in um, Paris or in Nantes, the big cities that are nearby, who would come for a few weeks and mix with the others because they miss the international vibe. So yeah, I hope we'll grow some kind of community there. And you have plans. I mean, you were telling me about that. You are going to have also some other options in the future. So when I look at the website right now, yeah. I mean, it looks super fancy because we're talking about the castle yeah. here, right? And you were telling me that you are also looking into more budget options. Yeah, that's one of the things. So we really want to have a diverse offer. We like diversity and inclusivity. It's one of our core values. And we don't want to position ourselves in a specific niche, in a specific segment, because we think that when exchange can be very positive and enriching when people are different, If you spend time with people that are exactly the same like you, they don't necessarily enrich your experience in any way. So we have the main castle, we have with nice, beautiful castle rooms. And then we have a budget floor on the top floor of the castle with some smaller rooms, which are much cheaper, but they're still very comfortable. 
Uh, so people that are on a budget can just stay in these rooms and uh, they are free to join the community. As well, in the second building, we have some apartments which have their own independent kitchen. And actually, our idea about these apartments is if we can attract people with children to stay in these apartments, because we know that uh, for people with children, it's difficult to find the co-living spaces and also it's challenging You know, when you have small children and you share a kitchen with other people, you are worried that your children might leave it dirty, that they might bother someone, they might be too noisy. And on the other side, people without children don't necessarily want to spend time with children. And we think that this solution of having two separate buildings, but people can still be in the same community events, share the same co-working and just take the positives, but not the negatives out of it. And then another option, camper vans. We have a huge private park, so it's totally safe for people to come with their van if they want to stay in the van or if they want to just park it and have a room. Okay, so that's also possible. Yeah. So even on a very low budget, people can... From very low budget, yeah, from tents to princess suites. <laughs> Everything is there. Everything we cover, yeah. So that means, as you were saying already, there's a huge variety of people that is potentially coming by. Because, I, I mean... Still, I'm wondering what type of digital nomad of mobile worker is typically coming by? How would you describe it? What, what do you think? Mm, from the experience so far, it's mainly two types of people. Digital nomads that are traveling already for a while. And um, I wouldn't say that they are bored, but they are kind of, um, you know, they, they've seen a lot of places. They've been to a lot of very interesting locations, countries, co-living places so they're looking for something unique for some kind of unique experience a place that is unexplored living in a castle is something that you don't find everywhere so this is one type then people working remotely and not necessarily even people working remotely for other companies yeah of course like a lot of digital nomads work this way But also uh, with the pandemic, we noticed um, people who are not working remotely full time, but just don't want to be closed in a small apartment or whose company just let them work uh, remotely for the summer, just for three months a year or just for a certain time. So they have a base and they just come to spend a bit of time. So you probably already had a bunch of people asking you how to get started with such a project and how to keep it up and running. I mean, what would you recommend to anyone who has, let's say, similar plans to that? Hmm, oh wow, I don't know, so many things. It's, um, I don't know how to how to <laughs> summarize it in one, in one advice. What I would recommend is to think about it really from the perspective of the people that you would like to attract. So I would recommend people to go around, to visit other co-living spaces, to if they're not yet part of the digital nomad community, to definitely connect to this community and to understand what are the needs of people and what, what they are expecting to see and then to define it very clearly for themselves what kind of place they want to run, what are their values, uh, what kind of people they want to attract, people that are doing things just for the sake of business and just for the sake of making money. It's sometimes successful, but in my experience, you have to do it with your heart and the place that you are running have to really resonate with who you are and with your own values. We've seen that with our experience with the bed and breakfast. Actually, we, we were kind of forced to quickly start a business because we needed 
some kind of income out of the place. It was too expensive to keep it. And then we started a business that was so the opposite of what we would do. So the opposite of where we would go as travelers. And when you don't believe in it, when you don't feel good with it, you can't really sell it. Like you just, yeah, it's just uh, controversial. You don't feel it. You don't feel good in your in your heart. And now with the co-living, it's exactly the opposite. You see the people that you really want to see in your place and you enjoy it and you are happy and proud of what you built. So I think that's what people should think about, what they want to build, what kind of people they want to see, how they want to change their lives. Okay, because I am wondering about one thing. I can tell you quickly that I got contacted by more and more guest house owners, property managers, and saying, hey, we're now also open for digital nomads. And so that they just switched over to, you know, from regular guest tourists to digital nomads. And I was sometimes a bit surprised when I was like, wait, I mean, your former food court is now a co-working space. I mean, how do you see that? And what would you recommend to those people that are thinking like, oh, yeah, just say co-working space, mm -hmm. paying co-working space on here. And is, is it a co-working space then? Mm -hmm. No, not really. <laughs> so what, what I would recommend is to, first of all, never mix the two types of people at the same time. So or you are a vacation place or you are a place for digital nomads. Never put the two people, even though it's sometimes very attractive in terms of income. The dynamic of the people is so different that you just can't, like when someone is on holidays for one week, they want to party every night, they want to drink, they want to, you know, do different things. And when someone is working, they don't want to be in the same. Just the dynamic is very different. And then the space, we invested a lot in the space before we transformed it because the needs are completely different of people. Shared areas and the common areas suddenly become the most important part of the house and you have to, and the co-working space, of course. So you have to invest a lot into, into these areas to make them meet the needs of the digital nomads, to always have in mind that people are working. Just to give you an example, before when the place was a bed and breakfast, we had a 12 megabytes internet in the place and it was okay because people would not need it, you know, they just need to post a photo on Instagram and that's it. When you have digital nomads, you have to invest in this whole new infrastructure to make sure that the internet will be fast, that it will cover all corners of the building and the shared areas, yeah, the kitchen, kitchen laundry room, all those things that you normally don't need when the place is a vacation place. I see. And you must have some sort of long-term vision about your project also in mind. Can you share that with us? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We have a lot of dreams about the place. One of the things, I mean, first of all, we want to make the place as self-sustainable as possible. And it will take a while, but it's definitely one of our dreams. So we have this huge land, so we want to be able to grow our own food, our own vegetables. We have our own source of water, which for the moment we are not using. We are using the, the public um, water supply, but we are planning to slowly, slowly switch to our own source of water. We are planning to slowly maybe switch to um, solar panels or alternative way of heating and electricity. It will take a while, it will not happen from one day to another, but definitely it's something that we're dreaming about in the future. And then my own personal dream is to open a cat cafe next to the castle. So 
we have a tennis court and we have a beautiful garden with palm trees and one little little tiny house which by the time years ago like 200 years ago used to be the house where the gardener lived when people were so wealthy that you could have your own in-house gardener and now it's just an abandoned little house and we think it would be really nice to take some rescue cats and to have a cat cafe there so the digital nomads can benefit from spending time with animals also it's separated from the house where people live so if you don't want to spend time there just don't go doesn't bother anyone and um, socialize stray cats maybe inspire someone to adopt i'm traveling with my cat now for eight years ten years so i can give advice on that as well still the same cat still the same cat okay <laughs> but wait i mean that would also require that you would have more people than just digital nomads in your place, right? Someone that takes no, care I of the garden and so on, right? Yeah, just uh, someone that would be responsible for the for the cat cafe, not that many people. I mean, we don't necessarily want to open that for public. I just think from my experience that uh, being with animals, especially for digital nomads, is it's a bit difficult to travel with an animal, but it has a lot of benefits on the mental health, especially for people that are traveling alone. And we think that socializing with animals can be really beneficial on both sides, and it also helps on both, both sides. What would you recommend? How long should someone stay to get the full experience? Of the castle you know i was normally i was answering one month to this question but last uh, project we had so we had a pop-up in may with nine co-living in tenerife some kind of reunion of um, the guests of nine and we made it one month and actually half of this month france was still partially on lockdown so the things around like restaurants and bars and everything around was closed and even i was a bit worried like whoa if everything is closed what would people do it will maybe get boring oh my god one month is not enough just if you are working during the week you don't really have that much time to go around and to enjoy and there are a lot of things to see in the region a lot of nature there are beaches there are forests there are a lot of historical sites a lot of sports activities as well and a lot of things to do in the castle in on the property itself we have a lot of things you can just spend two weeks without leaving the property. We have a, a guest and a friend that is coming now for the third time. And she said, yeah, I'm coming for the third time because the first two times I just didn't leave the property for one month. <laughs> Not because she was necessarily working all the time, but just because you don't really need to leave. You have everything on spot. And then the third time she's coming because she wants to visit around. So yeah, about one month, but maybe, maybe even a bit more. Okay, great. This was... Katya from uh, Chateau Co-Living and um, sharing her story about how she started her personal co-working and co-living place. So Katya, thank you so much for that. We don't want to forget your partner that probably was going with, along with you all the way, right? Yeah. So not mention or not say that it was only you who did the whole thing, you know, so you always had someone on your side helping yeah, you with that. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. And the team of the co-living now, the two hosts that are there, um, they're amazing. And they are a huge, huge part of the project as well. Okay, so that the whole kudos goes out to the whole team of the Chateau Co-Living, right? Yeah. So you never do such a thing alone, even if you inherit it and for free and you can... No, you no I don't think you can do it alone. No. <laughs> I, I wouldn't see. do it alone. <laughs> I understand, I understand. Thank you so much for being part of the Economalia podcast. 
Thank you. It was a pleasure. The pleasure was all mine and hopefully yours, dear listener, too. Yeah, I hope you could take something valuable from this podcast episode. If you liked it and you just discovered your inspiration for rural co-working and co-living, I mean, what are you waiting for? Sign up to our newsletter on our website, www economadia.org. That will include you in the circle of people who from time to time get our valuable and hot stuff about the latest projects, events and trends in the rural co-working and co-living scene. Also, if you want to join one of our vacations next year, that is in 2022, we have an Economadia vacation program where we organize experience, where you meet like-minded economists and together we are going to spend an intense two weeks experience of co-working, workshops, creating lasting bonds and friendships and Enjoying locally sourced food and all of that, of course, in a place where we can enjoy beautiful nature while putting the focus on getting your work done. That means having stable internet and a decent co-working space. All useful links related to this podcast episode, you can find them below here in the description. Many thanks for your attention. Keep being awesome. My name is Joran from Economadia. Stay in the loop with us.